Welcome, everyone, to When Women Preach. This podcast exists to empower AAPI and Latinx women faith leaders. Our guest for this episode is Reverend Ajang Sojwa. She's an Episcopal priest, and she served as priest in charge, interim priest, and rector at several churches in New York and Connecticut before moving to Palo Alto, California, which happened quite recently. So congratulations on that. And she is the priest in charge of All Saints Church. She's also a regular blogger for Asian American women on leadership. And that's the blog of Isaac that you can find out about on our website, or we'll also include that link below. And she's married to her partner, Melinda Sojwal, who's also a priest, and they have two adult children. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Joanna, for this opportunity that uh, you have given me. Thank you. Yes. So first question is, you know, you're a part of our Pastoral Lab cohort, the national online one that started last year. And I just want to hear about how it's impacted you and your ministry. Well, it was such a godsend for me to be contacted by Young uh, for the online pastoral lab. Uh, at a time when um, I think it was during COVID, uh, if I'm not mistaken, or just about that time. And I had also moved to a new place uh, as director, being called a rector for the first time in a church. And, um, you know, really needed companionship in terms of ministry with other uh, women of color and especially Asian American uh, women. It, it really helped me to kind of process through some of the challenges that I was facing and also to just be able to um, listen to people's stories and how they have navigated their own situations as uh, Asian women leaders in different areas that have been, that was really, really helpful for me. I'm really glad to hear that. I know it's been a uh, really important for a space for a lot of Asian American women ministers to hear from one another and to support one another. So I'm glad you found that support with them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, um, it was interesting to just kind of, uh, be in that space where for the first time, you know, in all the times that I've been ordained, it was the first time I was seeing just mm. a screen full of Asian American women, which was just yeah. so rare for me to find. You know, I've been in the company of um, other uh, women ordained clergy, but never in a space where I am with in the company of uh, Asian American women, all of them in different uh leadership positions and it was just just so nurturing for me at that time so thank thank you for that opportunity yes thank you young <laughs> i remember that feeling as well so it was it was i had a similar experience of just looking at the screen you're also a part of the episcopal denomination because you just mentioned that women come from all different backgrounds and you're you're more specifically from episcopal um, and you've, you know, congrats again on your church uh, calling to Palo Alto, California. And before that, I know that you've spoken a little bit about having experience with small churches and particularly those who are on the verge of closing. And you've been in the position of being the first Asian American woman pastor 
who was called to pastor a lot of these congregations. So what were some of the most important lessons that you learned during the process prior to your current position in Palo Alto? And how did you apply them today as you led your, as you lead your congregants, as you as you lead your current people? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it was interesting when I first got ordained in the Episcopal Church. Um, I was one of the earlier uh, Asian American women who got ordained. And it was hard for people to see me, uh, somebody like me, as uh, leadership material in the Episcopal Church. And so I have to be very honest and say that it was not so much out of choice that I landed up in some of these you know, very small churches, oftentimes on the verge of closing, barely able to make, uh, you know, uh, make it to pay the bills and um, to to pay a, a priest. And um, it worked out well also because I was looking for a part-time position when I first got ordained, ordained because our children were still young at that time. Um, but even um, even when I was willing to work part-time, it was very hard for me to get a call. So I landed up in churches where the bishop kind of directed me to. And um, I went with my, you know, rose-tinted glasses and, of course, with very romantic notions about ministry. And um, soon find out that the churches uh, tend to be in that place where they are on the verge of closing, you know, um, because of um, oftentimes a dysfunction that has set into the church in a way that they were unable to address. So you and, were unaware that they were on the verge of closing until you got there? No, uh, I, I knew that. I knew that okay. they were, yeah. So when I say that I went in there with this romantic notion of ministry, you know, uh, newly ordained, um, young, and of course, thinking that, oh, everything is going to be fine with the help of the Holy Spirit. Everything is going to turn uh, around overnight. And so when I got into the situations, I got to learn a lot about what uh, it involves um, to be a church, uh, to be a body of Christ, and how this kind of uh, left unaddressed for years sets in into the body of Christ and leads to that uh, slow demise of a church. Um, mm. What I did learn was that, um, you know, uh, I think uh, I had to, uh, I had to separate the congregation from the individuals who happened to be there. And I think mm. I learned by God's grace that my, um, my call at that point in the churches uh, in terms of ministry was to just love the individuals who were there in the church and not look at them as these uh, this congregation that could uh, grow to whatever I was imagining at that time, but that my call was just to be present with the people and love them for who they are and mm -hmm their stories about how they came to be in that place. And I must say that I heard a lot of individual stories where they had been hurt deeply by the church, in fact, in the church 
that they were actually worshiping in at the moment. But for some reason, they continued to uh, be there as part of that church, whereas many, many other people had left that church. And so I think I began to understand just what it means for God to be present in these churches. It need not necessarily be uh, the call to kind of uh, grow overnight, but it was a time to just uh, sit down and, uh, you know, acknowledge the woundedness of the people who were there in those churches. And what was the result of you being present with the people, hearing their stories and loving them? What was there healing that you saw that happened as a part of that process? Like what was the, what did you start to see come to fruition within the church? I think, um, the things that I saw was that, uh, you know, they were able to, uh, in the, in the process of listening to their stories and talking to them about God's love in the midst of all their woundedness, I began to see that they could actually talk about their relationship with God in a way that they were a lot more free. For instance, mm-hmm. they were able to articulate without feeling uh, scared of being judged about their feelings of um, abandonment, even from God. You know, I think that's a great uh, step for you to take in your own faith journey to be able to know and trust that God will still love you god still loves you even you might have some negative feelings toward god for where you have been in your faith journey you know that feeling of disappointment the feeling of abandonment from god but being able to verbalize that in a space where you begin to feel that oh God still loves me. And I think in a sense, um, being able to articulate what they had gone through and what they were going through in terms of their woundedness, uh, helped them see that this is also a part of their faith journey to understand that, you know, with God, uh, there will be times of joy, there will be times of woundedness, but God is there with them throughout all of that. And I think, um, it was a great, great uh, learning experience for me in uh, in terms of what it means for me to be called as a priest, you know, and um, to be reminded that uh, Peter was told by Jesus, feed my sheep, you know, not uh, grow the church to, you know, this uh, 600, 700 uh, member church or grow the financial uh, health of the church uh, the 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 uh, call from Jesus was feed my sheep and I had to really understand that in the midst of these uh, small churches what I called uh, on the verge of closing and mm-hmm. they came to embrace that uh, um, at the beginning of my ministry through these churches with that lesson that you learned that really important um and beautiful lesson that you learned about hearing the people's stories and really treating them as individuals and focusing not on growth um which i'm sure is it might be an important aspect of your your job um in a way but how do you then take that and apply it to your current position 
in in Palo Alto because that that the church that you're at now is not on the verge of closing. Is that correct? No, and I've been now, um, you know, in my um, ordination uh, path, you know, after having been in a few churches that were on the verge of closing, I did go on to be trained as an intentional interim uh, priest um, and uh, got to be interim priest in um, what I would call um, medium-sized churches in the Episcopal Church who were healthy and, uh, you know, being called as rector in my previous church, um, a healthy uh, church, a medium-sized church, and this one. So, um, my lesson remains uh, that, uh, you know, the way um, I look at growth is not so much on the numbers and mm. financial health of the church, uh, that is important, and uh, I have to kind of constantly tell myself uh, when I'm thinking about growth in numbers, am I thinking about uh, like people coming in into the church, or am I thinking about uh, financial health? You know, mm -hmm. one of the things that I had to kind of really ask myself in the ministry, and learning to trust God through all of that. And when I say growth, um, that um, I was looking for in the first few churches uh, that were small. Yes, I looked at numbers, but I also had to learn that growth, the much more um, profound growth that God showed me was the growth in people's faith, you know, and it's much, much more important and more, more precious to God than the growth in numbers that I was thinking at the beginning of my ministry. And so I think when I come here to All Saints uh, Palo Alto, I come with that uh, wisdom that I learned. Yes, albeit, uh, you know, hard lesson, but um, uh, deep inside me, um, imprinted inside me that the growth that I'm seeking for here is first and foremost growth in the um, faith of the people that I minister to. And mm -hmm. Um, it is God who will grow the numbers if and when God wants it at the moment uh, to be present for the people, either one-on-one -on -one or in small groups or as a whole. Um, you know, I need to be present to the people who are here. And this, my, this is my people that God has given me at this particular time. And I cannot be looking out and thinking about people who are not here. And so I, that is the lesson that I carry with me to be present with the people who are with me at this particular time. Um, I think that's so countercultural, especially to the type of institution that you're in, which is quite old and <laughs> hierarchical. Um, and how, so how did you navigate um, that system and advocate for yourself as a ministry, uh, as a minority person of color, um, as you're doing this ministry and focusing not on growth and numbers and finances necessarily, uh, but making the main thing about the people. Like, how did you do, how did you do both? Yeah. Um, since I was one of the first, uh, Asian women who are, 
who was ordained in the Episcopal Church, you know, to be able to navigate such an ancient church, um, I had to kind of just learn on my own. And uh, one thing I learned pretty fast in uh, the beginning of my ministry was that I had to advocate for myself. Nobody else is going to stand up for me. And I can't. I cannot wait for somebody to step in and help, and help me. So, mm -hmm. for instance, when I went uh, to the, uh, the smaller churches, which worked for me, uh, I have to be honest, because I needed uh, only a part-time position to be home with my kids, uh, you know, more. And so uh, when I was ready for full-time position and there was nothing uh, that was opened or even I have been to so many interviews, you know, and um, I remember one particular church that I had gone to be interviewed, uh, um, you know, at the end of the interview, I was getting up, uh, putting on my coat, and one of the search members uh, said, oh, that's, um, that's a beautiful coat you're wearing. Why don't you turn around and show us, you know? And it just felt so humiliating for me, you know, to, to be, to be asked to kind of uh, parade before them. Uh, you know, it was just, uh, but anyway, things like that. And, um, so I went to, uh, my bishop at that time and said, you know, there are no, uh, nobody is willing to call me, you know, because I've never seen somebody like me in leadership in the Episcopal Church. And so uh, maybe it would be better if I uh, uh, go as an interim priest where they know that they're not going to have me uh, as the long-term priest, but as somebody who they can work with for some time. You know, it's a, a, a time, it's a, it's a project that you have a start date and an end date. And so that might be more um, open for somebody like me. And so I asked, the bishop's office to help me uh, get trained as an interim and as an intentional interim priest and ask them to actually pay for that. I said, you know, you ordained me as a priest. I cannot find a call as a full-time priest, and I want you to help me uh, get trained uh, for something that I might be able to do and also have others, the congregations, open to somebody like me. And mm -hmm. asked them to ask the bishop's office to pay for that, and mm. uh, and they, you know, by God's grace, they did that. So things like that, asking for them to pay for my continuing education as an interim priest was something yeah. I had to make a case for it, uh, and I had to kind of ask them to do it, and they did that. Um, also, going into churches where you know I had to be very clear. Um, and saying that, uh, you know, the church stands for, uh, equal pay for, you know, anybody through the door. Um, so those kind of things that I had to kind of really be able to talk about, um, salary, benefits, uh, time off, all those things that I learned on my own because um, you know, there were, there were not that many people who I could talk to, but I think, um, 
just being aware of what are the issues that I might face uh, into a situation helped me to kind of navigate the system and advocate for things uh, for myself. Also, not uh, knowing uh, not to come across as somebody who's accusing the people who I'm interviewing with or working with, but to say that this is a work in progress, that um, they have to learn that they have not been in a situation where they had to kind of invite somebody like me into their space. Um, Just be generous uh, in my own understanding of them and not be defensive Mm. of my, um, of my being a person of color as a woman of color, I think, uh, helped uh, for me to navigate and advocate for myself, understanding that we are both in a learning space. So you really set the tone, I think, for those who come after you by even advocating for or asking for the pay, um, for them to pay for your training. I think then that makes it easier for the next person to ask for the training as well. So you, I feel like you sort of pioneered and set the tone for other women who come after you to have a better understanding of what they can ask for and what they can do to continue to advocate. Yeah, it, uh, it helps. Uh, I think it would be true for even other churches, other denominations. It's yeah. a matter of uh, being able to have the conversation with the, uh, with the, um, leaders of the denomination and say this is my issue you know uh telling them okay um it is it is very hard it is very difficult for churches to imagine somebody like me in leadership and i need to do something about this and i think this might be the way you know having those conversations not demanding but uh, making them aware of my own difficulty and why it is so, you know, um, uh, I think helps to kind of get to a place where um, people are saying, let's find ways to help you. You need to do. And this is not just about me, isn't it? For the larger denomination, uh, when they're thinking about uh, being open and welcoming to others, for them to learn that uh, when they're talking about Episcopal Church welcomes you, it is not about Episcopal Church welcomes you in their pews. It has to be Episcopal Church welcomes you on the pulpit and behind the altar, you know. And so I think it is a learning process that uh, when you're looking at people of color uh, to welcome them, you have to get above and beyond the welcome of them on your pews to your pulpit and behind the altar. Yeah. Yeah, that's so that's so important. I think also that kind of reminds me, I don't know if you've faced this before, but even the the equal pay, like sometimes there's equal pay, but then there's not equal distribution of workload, right? It's like right. So one person or uh, the workload can land on like one or two people more. And so at that point, it's like, well, the point of equal pay, it shouldn't just be a transactional, we're just doing this. But the value of that, as I think you're referring to right now, is it's a holistic, you can't just accept them at the pews, you got to accept them at the pulpit. You can't just give them equal pay and think that's fair 
but it goes beyond that, right? And I think that also points back to what you were saying about generosity, that generous spirit of seeing that there's a whole whole person um, and there's a whole system that's working. Yeah, and I think uh, I had to kind of uh, rethink my own ideas of hospitality, you know, what does it mean for me to be somebody who is a hospitable person? It has to kind of uh, make room not just for me to be a part of a space, but for the other to be a part of the space. And for me, that was, uh, you know, to get into the space where um, I had to understand that these, uh, the Episcopal churches that I went to, which were predominantly white, that, um, you know, I have to allow that hospitality to kind of uh, extend to those who are there uh, as white, uh, as white privileged people for a long time who might not have had the experience of somebody like me. And right. we are in conversation together and I had to extend that, um, space of hospitality because I understood in the course of conversation that um, they are at a, dis at a disadvantage in some ways because they have never had the privilege or the honor, uh, you know, to be in conversation with people like mm -hmm. you and I, you know. Yeah. Their friend circles, their work circles always involve mostly uh, white people. And um, at some point, I had to understand that I need to create that hospitable space where we can have the conversations with trust and with the intention of engaging in a better work relationship or in a better ministry uh, place of looking at each other as, uh, you know, the children of God uh, call together. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for leaving us with that. I think that's the perfect way to end, <laughs> which is creating that hospitable space for the other. Yeah, I, us creating that hospitable space. And I really love the framework that you just gave about, well, it's a privilege for them too to be in conversation with people who are minorities and who look like us. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for this, uh, you know, uh, I love talking about these uh, hospitable places. And so thank you so much for giving the uh, opportunity. Thank you for letting us learn from you and your story. If you'd like to support Isaac in producing this podcast or our overall mission of supporting AAPI and Latina women ministers, you can donate to Isaac at isaacweb.org.